wizards, witches, and friends. Welcome to the Most Excellent Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm your better half, Gina. Okay. And sure. we're back. We just back at it again <laughs> with the light mask. We just spent bitch almost... Bitch never left, but I'm back at it. Bitch never left, but I'm back at it. I can't remember the other... <laughs> I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. Oh. I'm feeling my, feeling my, feeling myself. Okay. We're going to get, like, copyright sued. I will not. that's okay. Not with that bad of an impression. I bet Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. Nicki Minaj. Nicki... Mickey, Mickey, that Nicki Minaj. I, I bet they would love this podcast. Danielle and I just spent 30 minutes trying to fix the application that we used to record because it was being fucking stupid and it wasn't opening and like here's the thing we're not tech people okay we're like trying we are literally just like flying by the seat of our pants mm-hmm. with this podcast because we have no clue what we're doing half the mm-hmm. time but we're making it work i almost threw my laptop across the room we're sitting really here i'm sitting here just praying just <laughs> praying to god to have this application start instead of finding like the right thing for it mm-hmm. but it's finally open and we're finally recording so it's time and danielle's back She's I'm back from her. Never left, but I'm back at it. Okay, she's back from her uh, fantastic beast trip mm-hmm. in uh, Vancouver. It's not fantastic beast. It's, it's supernatural. actually supernatural. She brought me back a Sasquatch sticker for mm-hmm. my laptop, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy about it. And she also brought back not one, not two, but ten bags of ketchup mm-hmm. chips and coffee crisps and Kit Kats and Kinder Surprise, even though they're illegal in this country. <sighs> She literally, she literally brought back, they had to use a duffel bag mm-hmm. to bring back the mm-hmm. amount of ketchup chips that she brought back. Mm-hmm. I cannot, you want, you want to tell them about your supernatural experience oh and how so you got, you tripped in front of Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki? So, now you see what had happened with this. I have met Jensen and Jared too many times to count, and this time I was going up there and I was really, really nervous, so I was like moving my feet. And don't I go up to, like, the photo line and I, you know, just happen to do a, a gentle stumble forward. And Jared's like, uh, uh, are you okay? And Jensen was like, are you okay? And I was, like, trying to put on my shoe. I'm trying to live my life. I'm just, like, stumbling everywhere. Jensen's, like, holding my arm so I can, like, get up. And the thing is, like, you, you tripped in front of them before, which but makes But that was on my way better. out. But, like, you know, it's worse when you're on your way up. That's true. Okay? When I was on my way out, I was like, Jensen's already, like, not paying attention to me. Like, then Jared was like, oh, and I was like. <laughs> so this is what she left me for. She left me not to record the last podcast episode so she could trip at Supernatural Con. I don't even in care. Of Jensen I, would, and Jared. I just. I just <laughs> it was a good time, though. It was so good, and I was so happy that I went. Like, it was just, like, a Jensen Ackles thing, and he was just. She's literally sitting there sending me a video of him singing. It's like mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning, my time. Mm-hmm. And she's literally crying about this man singing. And I was like, I am literally half awake right now. I have no clue what's going on. not one, but two songs. Two songs. Uh, <gasps> it must have been worth it then. It was so worth it. All I know is that I got a Bigfoot sticker out mm-hmm. of it. And that's all that matters. From a national park. But what else? Yes. But what also matters is that she's back. And we are ready to record another depressing, yeah. <laughs> sad this is episode. A major trigger warning episode. This is so bad. I was like reading it and I was like, oh my god. I was like, everyone's gonna turn this off. I figured out what it was while she because she was looking up a clip for it, and I was like, is this the one you're doing? And she was like, yep. Oh, yeah, and I was like, oh, time to fucking cry. But uh, just just as a refresher, this is most excellent the podcast, mm-hmm. and we are your paranormal. 
were you paranormal? Were you paranormal? I can't speak today. Were you paranormal? True crime, all things strange and peculiar comedy pad podcast. Oh my god! Here, I'm your comedy pad. Danielle's gone for one week, and I really don't know how to speak. We're your comedy podcast, true crime, paranormal. We talk about creepy shit. We talk about death. We talk about murders. We talk about weird family members. We talk about pretty much anything and everything. And just a reminder, we want to hear your stories, too. And we haven't heard them yet because we haven't got an, an email. Okay. So I'm <laughs> just, like, hostile. yelling at everyone. I'm like, listen, Jesus listen Mary. send us a fucking email. Oh. Or, or else. <laughs> or, or you'll get it. Catch these hands. Um, we had Danielle's cousin, uh, Nikolas, used to work at... Uh, this pizza place, mm-hmm. and it was the the pizza place we were talking about in our other episode. But he used to write signs like, you know how there are signs like when you're working at a food place that says, "Oh, like employees wash your hands" yeah. or like put stuff away. And he would just write next to it, or else. Or so else. there was a sign that said like wash your hands, and he would just write or else. <laughs> And it was just, like, in the back room, just, like, this, like, terrifying shit. It's, like, wash your hands, put the pizza dishes away, or, or else. else. And he just, and the, his his boss, like, literally didn't care. He's, like, no. yeah, you can do whatever you want. He basically was Nikos the only was, one who worked Nikos there. Nikos was running that business. He really was. He was they still, they've been wanting a driver for, like, six months. I'm, like, Nikos just left them empty-handed. He needs Nikos to go back and just do it. and come back. He was just constantly, like, I literally, there. like, when you were in Cuba... And it was just me and Nicolas. Like, I would literally go with her cousin on pizza deliveries because I would be so bored. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, let's go. And he would, like, go to these, like, scary houses oh to God. deliver pizza. Yep. And I was like, you are so lucky that I am with you on these pizza deliveries because you, someone could kill you and you could die. Mm-hmm. And you will be the next victim of this pizza place. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen. But anyways, or else, or else, I was like, the or else is going to come back to bite you, <laughs> and it's not going to be coming from you this time. Yike. <laughs> Yike. Yike. Um, but yeah, we have some, we didn't, usually we kind of go with a theme, but we didn't really, we were just kind of like, let's just do whatever, because we don't need to have a theme every week. You guys don't care. We care, but it's just, you know, you got to spice it up a little I bit. I watched something, like, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, since I like, first read about it. And so I was just looking at my, like, I have a whole list of video ideas that I mm-hmm. want to do. So I've seen this one, and I was just like, it's time. Yes. It's time to do it. It's sad, but it's time. Yes. Well, I, I, you've probably heard of mine. A lot of people have heard of it. But I hadn't, like, gone into full research on it before, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty excited. But I want to hear yours first, because oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're big intro back. So let's, let's hear about it, even though I, I already... Uh, guest to know what it is, but I'm excited. Okay, so this is a major trigger warning for domestic violence. It's a major trigger warning for child abuse, like all of that stuff. So I'm just giving y'all, giving y'all a forewarning before I get into this. So I am doing the murder of Judith and Maria Barcy. Mm-hmm. So you will better know Judith as the voice of Ducky from The Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. She was yep, also... Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. So she was... Uh, her from the land before time, and she was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. <gasps> she was that's the voice her. of the little girl. She was I didn't know that. I love that movie. Yeah, so that's her. She played. Yeah, she was in All Dogs Go to Heaven, and she was in Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get into this. This is really bad, you guys. But it's. I think this is an important story to hear, and it's really sad when you when you see what happens. It's super sad and. I think it's a story worth talking about because I've you never really hear about this. Like no. I've never heard a lot of people. Like talk I've about I've this. heard about her yes. and the fact that she died when she was little, but I've yeah. never heard the actual you story. You never hear the whole story. So 
Judith Eva Barsi was born on June 6th of 1978 in Los Angeles, California. So she is born to Hungarian immigrants Joseph and Maria Barsi. I think it's Joseph because his, his name is spelled J-O-Z-S-E-F. Joseph, yeah. Joseph. I'm going to call him Joe. Good old Joe. Not good old Joe. Bad old Joe. Mm-hmm. But Joe. So both of them were immigrants who had fled Hungary due to the Soviet occupation. So they mm. both like fled from other countries because, or fled from the country. They fled to other countries because of the Soviet occupation. So Joseph Barsi was an, he was an illegitimate child. He's a bastard child. And so this, during that time period was like, you were very stigmatized that you had no father. The family unit is really important. Mm-hmm. So he faces a lot of stigma for this. He's bullied at school and all this. So the whole, the whole, he's got the whole soup going on here. Yeah. He's getting the ladles full of what makes him become what he does. So he's bullied at school for this and he resents his mother for letting his father leave. So his. Right, because it's always the woman's fault. Yeah, it's always her fault. So his daughter, his older daughter reported that he said that all women are whores. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Red flag. Okay. So. He flees Hungary to France, where he meets his first wife, Clara. So they have two children together. They move to New York, and this is when Joseph starts to drink and abuse his wife and then his kids. So this is, he has two children with his first wife, okay? Mm -hmm. So then Clara takes her kids, and she moves to Arizona when she's just kind of had it with him. She moves. Good. He follows her, Mm, and she takes it back. Even though he's promising her that he's going to change and all this stuff, but he doesn't. Nope. Because in 1969, Clara files for divorce after Joseph throws a skillet at her. A full cast iron skillet, he throws this at her. Goodbye. And she's like, I've had enough. And she leaves I'm sorry, here's the thing. You know what? We've all had traumatizing childhoods. We've all had Mm -hmm. shit happen to us. Not everyone throws a fucking skillet at people. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You don't see me being like, oh, I have issues. Here, let me take this out on an entire gender. Mm -hmm. Even though, I mean, I just, in my opinion, men suck in general. But I'm still not going to throw an iron at someone. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So, they get divorced after this. So, in 1976, what well, the year is 1976, but he moved to California. In 1976, he meets a fellow Hungarian immigrant, Maria Virovacs. V-I-R-O-V-A-C-Z. Okay, Virovacs. And so, she's working in a cafe as a waitress. Mm-hmm. And this is a, freq- this is a place that Hungarian immigrants would frequent and stuff like that, so she sees him. So, Maria notices that he's paying for his food and his drinks in $100 bills. And her eyes are like, <laughs> She's like, oh, and she sees him as basically a chance at security. Because mm-hmm. she's looking at him paying in these hundreds. Right. Because it's her normal eyes to go to cafes and pay in $100 bills. I mean, hey. Unless you're trying to fucking show off to I mean, people. hey. She's like, oh, he's got that money, though. Thank mm-hmm. you. So, they are married by August of 1977. And she becomes pregnant with Judith, and immediately with Judas, or Judas. <laughs> Judas, 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 no. No. And so she sees Judith, so Maria wanted to be an actress, mm-hmm. and she knew that basically this wasn't going to happen for her, so she immediately, like from the minute this baby comes out, she's like, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. So she starts to groom her. Yeah, because that's why you have kids. Exactly. You need to live your broken dreams. Exactly. Right. So she sees Judith as a chance for her. She's like, hey, this is my chance through her. So she starts teaching her immediately, like, how to dance, how to, basically, how to stand straight, act, be poised, be polite. Just A.K.A. fucking JonBenet Ramsey. It, it yeah. literally, it's it's very similar. 
So she grooms her daughter to be a star, even though, so her brother-in-law and her brother and everyone's telling her, you're never going to make it. This is not going to happen for you. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? So despite multiple people discouraging her, in 1983, a five-year-old Judith is discovered by a crew filming a commercial at a local ice skating rink. Mm, So she gets picked up. She gets signed to a talent agency, and her agent is Ruth Hansen, and her first commercial is for Donald Duck Orange Juice. And she is, this little girl is so... Like, she's gorgeous. She has Yeah, just, like, I've seen pictures of her. She's gorgeous. She's she a little blonde, cheeks. right? She's yeah. brown hair. Like, brown like, hair. Is it, like, brownish like, blonde? It's, like, light yeah, brown yeah. hair. And she has a little bangs and the teeth and mm-hmm. her, like, she's gorgeous. This little girl's so cute. So, over the span of her career, she appeared in 70 commercials, TV shows, and movies, including Cheers, Punky Brewster, Growing Pains, Jaws the Revenge, and most famously... She is Ducky in The Land Before Time mm-hmm. and Anne-Marie and All Dogs Go to Heaven. I have no idea she's Anne-Marie. I love, mm-hmm. I was just asking my roommates the other day, I was like, do you guys remember All Dogs Go to Heaven? Because that movie was a trip. That was like, that movie was depressing as shit. But it was so good. Like, because they had like songs and stuff in there, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I think so. And it was just like, I just, that was like one of like, you know, like the non-Disney movies yeah. you watch, like like Quest for Camelot yes, or yes, 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 The yes. Black Cauldron and stuff like that. And, was when, and we had it on VHS and me and my brother would watch it all the time. And I like, I just, I didn't even connect that it was the same girl who voiced Ducky. Yeah, so it's her. And in both of these movies, Judith is not going to be alive to see herself in by the end of this. <sighs> So, 1984, Judith, this is like, this is fucking heartbreaking. So, Judith lands her first big role in a TV miniseries called Fatal Vision, which is based on the McDonald murders in which a father kills his pregnant wife and two daughters, and she plays one of the daughters. Oh, God. Talk about foreshadowing. There's a lot of, it's very creepy, because there's a lot of coincidence that happened with her, And so there's a certain, I forgot what it was, but I was watching a documentary and there's a role where she's talking about, I wish that daddy would stop yelling at mommy and I wish that she's like sitting in a hospital bed saying this. Yeah. And it's just. Wait, is this based on like the McDonald's? The real, yeah. Like the sand? Yes. Oh. Not the sand and the watch. That's um, Sam Shepard. Okay. But this is the other murder that was like that where he, Sam, or McDonald's murders where he killed his pregnant wife. Okay. And whatever. But it's very yeah. similar because those two were connected. Yeah. Or they looked they looked like they were connected. Whatever. So it's based on that, though. So okay. So it's based on those murders. So there's a lot of coincidence, though, that happened where she's doing a role and she's talking about, like, I wish that daddy would stop yelling at mommy and this and how she played the daughter of a man who killed his wife and children. So there's a lot of things that line up where I'm just like, this, this kid had no idea what was no. coming. No. Yeah. So... In 1985, Judith begins to bring in $100,000 a year, which wow. is two, 200 grand in today's money. And so she buys the family a three-bedroom house in Canoga Park on 22100 22, McHale Street. And so this is so she buys the family this house. And this basically sets off a big inferiority complex for Joseph. Mm-hmm. And he starts to work harder because he feels inadequate and he begins to drink really hard. Yeah, imagine feeling threatened by your... How old was she at this she point? She was 1985. She was born in 78. So she was like six, seven. Like six or seven. Imagine being threatened, feeling threatened by your seven-year-old daughter and mm-hmm. having that tiny of a penis. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. I can't. Could never be me. Nope. So he gets arrested three times for drunk driving, and so it's around 1986 when the abuse starts to get really bad. So 
But what needs to be understood here is that this man has always been controlling. So, like, Mm -hmm. as much... Because everyone saw him and Maria as very proper couple. You know, they love each other. He's really charming. But Mm -hmm. That's what it always looks like. It always looks like on the outside. And so... But what he's understood is that literally he always controlled her. He was always... I mean, his first wife, you see that. And then his second wife, he... Maria, he forbid he forbid her from working, even though they were living on welfare in a small apartment because he would be too drunk to actually go to work. Mm-hmm. So he kept losing jobs and all of this stuff. And so he's basically unable to support them, but he won't let her go to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Makes perfect sense. So now the abuse basically starts as a bunch of verbal threats, which this is this is this pisses me off so much about this story is that there are multiple people who heard and knew what was going on and no one ever said anything like when mm-hmm. you hear some of the shit that he said to people i'm just like you should have reported him to the police yeah. immediately well that's like the story that you had last time about michelle harris when yep. like the hairdresser and the sister literally heard him on the phone saying i'm gonna make you disappear and no one's gonna be able to find you mm-hmm. and it's like how can you hear someone say that and not say anything to anyone okay so we like i get into that later okay. a little bit about what they say yeah or what, what happens here so so Joseph basically shows Maria where the gasoline is in the garage, and he says he threatens to burn down the house if she tries to leave him. He's hmm. like, he shows it to her, and he's like, "This is where it is. If you try to leave me, I will burn down the house." Nice. You in it. If that was me, I would like just take it and then like walk down the street. Oh, he, he, like, he <laughs> just backflip out of the house. Yeah. So sometimes he would threaten Maria and he would tell her that he was going to kill her or that he was going to kill Judith and leave her alive to suffer. So he would switch off and tell her stuff like that. So multiple people are told by Joseph that he wants to kill or harm his wife. He tells a friend's husband, one of these days, I'm going to kill that whore. Charming. Charming. Very nice. So he tells his brother-in-law, this is what he tells his brother-in-law, which this is very important later with what happens. He said, if the family life is gone, then life is not worth living. Oh, yeah, because you're such a fucking family yeah. man. Mm-hmm. You're so into your family life, you fucking decrepit piece of shit. Mm-hmm. God, this is important later, so I was like, I'm going to mention this now, because this factors into a lot of what happens later. Mm-hmm. So, people, like, basically, this man, they get this beautiful house, and the neighbors are all kind of, it's not a, it's not a hugely expensive. Right. But it's a nice California neighborhood. It's a nice California neighborhood, and there's a lot of stage moms, and everyone's mm-hmm. kind of all in the same thing here. And so Maria is very friendly, she's very social, she's going out, she's doing things. And... Everyone notices how, like, withdrawn Joseph is. And they notice mm-hmm. the fact that he literally, they get this house and he sticks a wrought iron fence around the whole thing. Jesus. Just the spiked fence, he puts it around the whole house. Okay, Vlad Dracula. Literally. Why don't you calm down there, buddy literally. boy? So people notice how weird he is and he doesn't leave the house except to go to work, basically. Okay. Okay. So, kind of me, though, honestly. Me, honestly. <laughs> I was like, I can't talk shit, but yeah. Well. So... June 6th, 1986, is Judith's 8th birth, birthday, and he doesn't go to her party at a bowling alley because he's instead at home drinking, according to what Maria tells a friend's mom. Mm-hmm. So, in December of 1986, Maria files a police report against Joseph after he attempted to choke her and hit her in the face repeatedly. Hmm. So, wait for it. Mm-hmm. The police claim they can't find physical evidence, and Maria ends up having to drop the charges. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. 
Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. No, thank mm-hmm. you. So, Not today, Satan. Yep. Anyways. Yep, yep, yep. So there's multiple instances, multiple instances where people notice how off this guy is. Mm-hmm. So a friend came to the house looking for Judith, and Joseph says, that little ass, she went to a photo shoot. I was like, <laughs> Jesus. I was like, you gotta eat that man. You gotta eat and greet that man. Mm-hmm. So, this is, so these are just a bunch of instances of how fucked up this guy is. So, Maria buys Judith this special kite, and when Joseph sees it, he takes it, and Judith is like, hey, give that back to me, like, you're gonna break it. Mm -hmm. And when he hears this, he breaks it in front of her, and he says that she's a spoiled brat who wouldn't share. He said, see, he basically told Maria, look what you're making her into. A you are mental. You are so je- jealous of your child. Mm-hmm. You are a sociopath. Lock him up. Lock him up. I'm oh, saying, okay. but I know it's not going to happen. Not so happen. continue. So <laughs> then it gets reported by Judith that he used to throw pots and pans at her until her nose bled. So then. Did, they, did the police find fucking evidence of that? Or mm-hmm. was there, there nothing there for that? No. No, but wait. So there's a party at the house around this time. So Judith is, she's receiving too much attention, according to him. So that she's receiving too much attention for his liking. And when she goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water, he grabs her by her hair and throws her down on the floor. And people see this. Mm-hmm. And so the next day he buys her a pink TV set to make up for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 1987, she lands a role in Jaws, which is, I think this is Jaws the Revenge. It was like the last one they did. And so they have to fly to the Bahamas for the shoot. When Judith is packing, Joseph comes into her room and he holds a knife to her throat and he threatens her. And he says, if you and your mother don't come back after the shoot, I'm going to cut your throat before this little girl has to leave. Right. Because that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. So, I hope the police felt fucking terrible about this afterwards. It's all on them. Wait till you see what happens. So on set, Maria reveals that it's like she's telling other moms that she's scared to go home. And this is what this is what I don't fucking understand. So Judith has a, a studio teacher, and she says that Maria's she was on tape, and she was saying that Maria's always crying and telling everyone how scared she is to the point that nobody believes her. That's what the studio teacher said. And I was like, this makes no fucking sense. I'm like, if this woman is crying to you, what the fuck do you mean you don't believe her? Right. So her, that's what her studio teacher said, though. She was like, she's crying so much and all this stuff that people don't believe her. And yeah, because like, that's what, you know, I hate people. I, I hate, like, this is why everyone y'all. kills people and gets away with it, yep. because of fucking idiots like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. die, not literally. So, I wish that bitch would die. I was like, literally, the way she said it, though, was so disrespectful where it was just like you know she's crying can you imagine being so into yourself and loving your to hear yourself talk Mm -hmm. so much that you aren't even worried about someone's life Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so after they finish filming they go to new york because maria's brother lives there so they go to new york and joseph calls the house and he asks for judith and he tells her remember what i told you and like hangs up the phone Basically telling her, I will fucking kill you if you guys don't come home. So they cut their trip short, and they're home by the next day. So around this time, Joseph starts to meet this new girl, and he's spoiling her and buying her expensive clothes and jewelry with his daughter's money. Ew. No less. Okay? So people are starting to notice at this point what's going on because the facade is starting to crack. Okay? So a neighbor offers her house as a safe haven, but Maria turns her down. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Tracy Gold, who is a co-star on Growing Pains with Judith, 
also also offers to help Maria, but she turns it down again. Probably because she's scared that he's going to hurt these other people if he finds out, too. Listen. Okay. Okay, wait. So this is... Okay. So let's just get into this a little bit. This, is, this case was hard for me because it's hard because I don't want any victim blaming to go on here, but it's also hard not to be mad at Maria a little mm-hmm. bit when you find out later the reasons that she gives for not leaving. So, but this is 100% not her fault, but it's also just, like, some things in life are more important than fame and money and this yeah. and this and this. And that's your daughter. That's your That's daughter. your baby. That's more important than what she get. Like, I'll tell the reasons for it. And, like, mm-hmm. obviously I'm 100% not blaming her because this is 100% all on him. Yeah. But it's just, like, how could you see these chances to get out and not leave? But mm-hmm. that's... Easy for me to say because I'm not in that position. Like, right. I understand that. But it's a, still frustrating. It's a it's frustrating thing sad. to hear when you find out what happened. It's just like, shit, man. You had yeah. a chance to do this. You can't not have empathy and, like, feel yeah. anger and, like, sadness about it. Yeah. So it's a tough thing. But it's also, I'm 100% not saying that it's her fault. Like, it's 100% not. Like, he's a dickhole. And he, yeah. everything that happens is 100% his fault. But there's so many instances where I'm like, you were so close. You were so close. Yeah. Um, so, let's move on to 1988. This is when things are really starting to crack. She got 1988, Mariah Carey hair. Anyway, sorry, continue. No, we're not quoting Matt on this podcast today. What's his real name? Joseph? His his name is not Joseph. His name is... Oh my god, what is... His name is Troutfish. His name is not Troutfish That Boy. Troutfish That Boy. (laughs) That's gonna be... Although, that is my new rap name. I am now producing music under Troutfish That Boy. Troutfish That Boy. It's not that. It right, is. Well, whatever his I'll name think is. of it. I know it. So It's going to bother me now. Fuck. <laughs> Where's my phone? <laughs> okay, so at this point, everything is kind of starting to crack down. And so before this, Judith's teachers, like, this little girl is so good at compartmentalizing that her teachers don't even notice that anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. So she's still going to school, and she's drawing these like, happy trauma. pictures. Yeah. So she's drawing, like, really happy pictures to the point where everyone's like, nothing is wrong with her. So she's really good at hiding this. So she's so stressed, like, at this point, that she starts to pull out her own eyelashes and her cat's whiskers. She starts oh, pulling no. her own eyelashes out, pulling the cat's whiskers out. Like, she's, yeah. like, breaking down. So... Her So her agent kind of puts her foot down a little bit when Judith starts breaking down into hysterics during an audition. And so Ruth, who is her agent, recommends that Maria has to take her to a child psychologist. She's like, can you take her in? After the first appointment with the psychologist, he reports her to CPS as an abused child. Mm-hmm. So she's assigned a case manager who had 67 cases at the time. And the normal full caseload is 40. That's a full stacked episode, and this social worker had 67 cases. Okay. So, at this point, Maria is doing everything she can to try to drive Joseph out. Okay, so things are kind of breaking down with them because he's stopped drinking, or he's trying to be better for her, and she won't forgive him. So, Mm -hmm. he's like, he thinks he's very righteous. He's like, I've stopped drinking for you, and this, and this, and this, and and you won't forgive me. Yeah, because that fixes all the That fixes everything. Yeah. So... At this point, Maria's stopped cleaning the house because she's she knows he's a clean freak, and so she's trying to essentially force him out. She's mm-hmm. like, if we make this house dirty enough and I don't clean and do this stuff, he'll leave. Yeah. So, and but this doesn't really help anything because Joseph starts giving tours to his friends of all the piles of toys and clothes in the house. 
Isn't that weird? That is a, disgusting. A sociopath. Mm-hmm. So when she meets with the CPS worker, she tells her that she has a plan and all this stuff, and she's going to file for a divorce. And so she's her plan is that she has started to rent an apartment in Panorama City that they retreat to during the day. So they only come home at night. Okay. So they're there during the day, so she keeps Judith and herself away from him. Mm-hmm. So she's at this point waiting on a $12,000 tax check she's going to try to use for them to escape. So she tells this to the social worker and her niece. She's like, I'm going to file for a divorce and all this stuff. So at her request, the social worker closes the case. Okay. No, ma'am. ma'am. Oh, but, God. So there's two, there's two different things going on here, though. So she tells this to the social worker. And then, so I got this information from this article um, from the LA Times. It's by somebody. I'll tell you guys at the end. So I got this from the article, and it was basically a representative from CPS was saying that essentially she was offered, they, she offered Maria, they offered for Judith to be removed from the home, and they had money in the budget for that, but they don't have money for in-home monitoring, mm-hmm. basically. So they had money to go remove her and put her somewhere else, but not to keep mom and kid together and monitor them in the home, supposedly. Yeah. That's what happened. And so this got offered, but then Maria tells Ruth that they weren't handling it and that she had to handle it herself, mm-hmm. which is like, what's going on here? Yeah. So then an LAPD officer who eventually investigates this case stated that emotional abuse is kind of hard because how do you protect people from threats? That's what I was saying before. Yeah. It's like she was saying that it's in your constitutional right to be able to say whatever you want and all this stuff, but there's no way for them to prosecute someone for threats. Right. But it's not in your constitutional right to throw pans at your child's yeah. face. Yeah. yeah. So. so that's the thing. So if this caseworker would have just maybe looked a little closer. There was no in-home visit that happened. There's no in-home visit. So that's why I was just like, okay, there's no in-home visit. Do your fucking job, people. Do your fucking job. But at the same time, you have 67 cases. Yeah, but then do your job and say, hey, um, I can't do this because it's not right. There has to be, like, not illegal, but, like, there has to be, like, work restrictions. Like, there has to be literally something where it's just, like, Jesus Christ, you know? But... So that happened. She tells them, Maria tells Ruth that she can't do anything. Like, they're not handling it, so I'm going to handle it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I think Maria was just like, mm-hmm, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Shut right. up. Right. So June 6, 1988 is Judith's 10th Judith's birthday. So before this happened, there was, like, a little get-together, and Judith tells family friends that I'm afraid to go home. My daddy is miserable, and I know he wants to kill my mom. Can you imagine having that much stress and trauma in your life? At 10 years old. She's <clears throat> 10 years old. So when asked why she won't leave, Maria says that it's because that would mean Judith's, Judith's career would be over and they'd worked so hard for it. Yeah, because that's what's really important. Yes, yes. Like she wouldn't be able to have a career if she's dead, mm-hmm. which she doesn't mm-hmm. now because mm-hmm. she's fucking dead. Yep. That was my thing where I'm like, I'm... I understand that it's hard to leave in those situations, and I've never been in that situation, so I can't say what I would or wouldn't do, but it's like you have outs, and the reason she's not taking the out is not because of fear or whatever, which it probably, yeah, it is to a degree, but the reason she's not taking the out is because she's like, well, her career would be over then, and it's like, what's more important, your child's life or her career Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, which both go forfeit after this, so... 
at this point, she basically is like, hi, we worked really hard for this. As, uh, no. No. So then July 10th, 1988, Joseph follows Maria to that, like, that little safe haven apartment they have, and he questions her because she has boxes. And so she lies to him, and she tells him that she's helping a friend move. So after this, the plan that Maria had to move them out into this apartment and do all this, it switches. So Maria tells her stepdaughter, who is A.G., Aji, Barcy, she tells her that they worked too hard for this house, and Joseph is going to be the one to leave. Okay, mm-hmm. so around this time, Joseph tells a friend, which this guy's a piece of shit because this is what he says. So his friend's name is Peter Kevlin, and he says that he is going to kill his wife. And when Peter, this is what Peter's response to this is, asks him about what will happen to his daughter. Joseph tells him, well, I got to kill her too. Tells this to his friend. Men are horrible. Garbage. Literal garbage. So now we're going to get into it. So on July 12th, July and July twelfth. No, so July twenty fifth of nineteen eighty eight, Ruth Hansen calls the house because Judith has missed an appointment at Hanna Barber Studios, and Joseph tells her that a black car took them away when she asked after Judith mm-hmm. and Maria. So he tells her that basically he's leaving, and I'm only here to say goodbye to my little girl. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm, now you give a shit. So reportedly. Judith missed the appointment because her parents were fighting and she was sent out to ride her bike. So the fight is most likely due to the fact that Joseph found out about the divorce. Mm-hmm. He finds out about the divorce proceedings and that he's that, that Maria's going to leave him. And so that's most likely what they were fighting about that morning. So at some point between July 25th to July 27th of 1988, Joseph waits until his wife and daughter are both asleep before going to his closet to retrieve a 32 caliber pistol. He starts in Judith's room and he shoots his 10-year-old daughter in the head while she's sleeping. So then Maria goes into the hallway, most likely to find out what's going on. And after a brief struggle, Maria is then shot in the head, probably going to check on her daughter after she hears that. So Joseph stays in the house for two days. So they don't know when exactly it happened. What a fucking sicko. So it's between July 25th to July 27th. That this these events happen, so they're not really sure when exactly they died, but it's at some point during those times. Yeah. So, then on July 27th of 1988, a neighbor named Eunice, she goes out and she's watering her garden and she hears a gunshot from the Barcy household and she sees smoke pouring out of the house. Mm. So, when the flames are out and investigators go into the house, they find the almost unrecognizable burned bodies of 48-year-old Maria Barcy and 10-year-old Judith Barcy. Oh, man. So the gasoline can that started the fire is found only a few feet from Judith's body. So he most likely started the fire there. Yeah. So as they are going through the house and everything, they find 55-year-old Joseph Barcy's body in the garage, dead of a self-inflicted, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. At least she did something good. Yeah, I was like... (laughs) 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 So... That is not correct. That is not correct. So then Maria and Judith get buried in unmarked graves at Forest Lawn Memorial Park. And their their graves essentially remain unmarked until 2004 when fans pay for them to have proper headstones with their name on Um. everything. So... So wait, they originally didn't have enough money to get marked headstones? I think so. That's what happened. That's I am sad. Sure. So then in 2004, which is like years yeah. later, they finally get the money to bury them from fans' donations. So then Judith, 
would not be alive to see herself in her most famous roles that she's known for, which is Land Before Time, which came out in November of 1988, and All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is released in ni- November of 1989. And so there's a song at the end of All Dogs Go to Heaven that's dedicated to her. Aww. So that's the so that is the case of Judith and Maria Barsi, and I got most of my information on this from an LA Times article that's called A Script of Fear, Repeated Threats by Father of Child Actress Carried to Tragic End by John Johnson and Gabe Fuentes. So that is their case. And then I just wanted to do a little thing of her voice because she has a cute little voice. Yep, you keep it safe. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, nope, nope. Mm. So that's her yep, yep, yep. It was my favorite. So I that, remember finding out when I was, like, younger about, not, like, super young, mm. but, like, you know, like, in grade school or whatever and finding out that she died mm-hmm. and just, like, it's the saddest that's just, story. Oh God, this story is just bad. It's just bad mm-hmm. all around. I was telling one of my like, coworkers Jesus. about that because I, I work at a preschool, too, and we were talking about dinosaurs and obviously you know nothing to the kids but like I was talking to one of my co-workers about it and she was like yeah I love Lamb Before Time it was one of my favorites and I was like well you know about the little girl who played mm-hmm. who voiced Ducky right and she was like no and I was like yeah her dad killed her mm-hmm. I didn't know the dad killed the mom too yeah, I thought it was just both. her no he kind of both. oh no it's a, dep- it's a depressing it's so time. sad but it's a good I think it's a good story to hear because yeah it's just good like, to know about it this poor fucking little girl is just I was. I feel so bad for her. I'm like, this girl is plucking out her fucking eyelashes, and everybody is offering to help them. And the mom's like, no, because I want to keep my house and everything. I'm just like, yeah. girl, Maria. It's not. It's not that deep, honey. No, I'm like literally. It's not you that can deep. Still have everything, but you just gotta get away from him. Like, yeah. her mom basically told the stepdaughter that. She was like, well, I'm not going to leave because I want this house because we work for this house. And I was like, bitch, you could buy another house. It doesn't matter. Yeah, literally, the market is fine. You will be I, I was okay. Like, I was like, you're making <laughs> 200 grand a year. Yeah. It's going to be Especially fine. in the 80s. In the 80s. Like, they're making good fine. money. Because, well, and then two, I was reading something that said that his son from his first marriage, he committed suicide in 1995. Ah, uh, yeah, I wonder and why. Because your dad's a fucking yeah. sack yeah. of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Well... We're going to go from one happy child murder story onto another happy child murder story. Excellent. And um, this is based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's one of more Chicago's major cases. And this is the story of Leopold and Loeb. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of the full thing of this. Yeah. Thing. this is. I mean, I have, I have a bunch of... Um, so I got most of my information um, from this from Wikipedia, and um, the Smithsonian website had mm-hmm. an article actually all about it that was really interesting. But I also got a lot of it. Um, I have a book called Haunted Chicago by uh, Troy Taylor, and it's History and Hauntings of the Windy City. Yes. And this book is great because it has, like, not only does it have, like, really good, like, information and stuff, mm-hmm. but it has, like, really cool, like, pictures that you wouldn't maybe, like, otherwise find online. So... I'm going to tell you about these two motherfuckers mm-hmm. who, you know, your typical rich Chicagoan Southside mm-hmm. Hyde Park neighborhood kids who mm-hmm. thought they were smarter and better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, this is the story of Leopold and Loeb, the two wealthy students who attended the University of Chicago who murdered 14-year-old Bobby Franks. And the murder was characterized as the crime of the century because it was a demonstration of intellectual superiority. So it was basically these two preps at the University of Chicago 
who thought they could commit the perfect crime because they thought they were smarter than everyone else. It's literally why, the reason why they killed this boy is because they wanted to see if they could get away with it because they knew they could. Yeah, Leopold and Loeb thought they could commit the perfect crime. So just some background on these two schlums. Um, so, schlums. So Richard Loeb was born on June 11th, 1905. So we have a Gemini, first mm-hmm. of all, which, you know, I'm, I'm a Gemini, but that's okay. He was born June 11th, 1905 in Chicago to a wealthy family. Um, his father was Jewish and his mother was Catholic. Okay. So his father was Albert Loeb, who was a wealthy lawyer and retired vice president of Sears. So Yoik. Roebuck and Company. So Yoik. the president of Sears is actually buried in Rose Hill. Okay. All those big names are buried in Rose Hill Cemetery, which is near us in a town neighborhood called Edgewater. So that's who his family was. Um, and it was said about Richard Loeb that he was exceptionally intelligent, skipped several grades in school, and became the University of Michigan's youngest grad at 17. So he started off at the University of Michigan. Okay. And so he was more social, he played tennis, and he would read, like, detective novels and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we have Nathan Leopold who was born on November 19th, 1905. So we have a Gemini and a Scorpio, okay? Oh the worst mix that you could possibly have. This is you and your mom? Okay, yeah, this is me and my mom and my brother. Yeah. Okay. So um, he was also born in Chicago to a wealthy German-Jewish immigrant family. Okay. And he was seen as a child prodigy, so another really smart kid. He completed an undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago with Phi Beta Kappa honors, and had planned to begin studies at Harvard Law in the mm-hmm. fall. So he graduated, and then he was going to go to Harvard Law. Okay. And he studied 15 languages Jesus and spoke five of them. This man has never seen a vagina in his life. Mm. <laughs> well, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, what a frat boy comment for me to make. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to find out that they, they didn't even want to see vaginas in their lives. <laughs> okay. Because they were uh, together. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> So we have uh, the gay murderers over here. Okay. So, oh, the yay for gays. The yay for gays. Anyways. I'm just glad they found someone during this time. Yeah. yeah each other. People. Even the, the two sociopaths together. Yeah. The fucking Gemini and the Scorpio. What? The two gays. What could be better? So when I get into their like early crimes and how okay. they kind of met and like became friends mm-hmm. and lovers and all that jazz. Oh, they became friends already. Oh, they did. Um, they were like, this is fucking they crazy. Were close friends. You know, this actually, this story actually reminded me of, you saw um, Kill Your Darlings mm-hmm. with Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Ellen Ginsberg mm-hmm. and, and how they killed um, their friend. Like, this is what it reminds me of, of like that very like really? manipulative, like toxic. Wait, is it Rob? It's Rob? It's no, it's what's his name? Oh, I'm sorry. Not Robert Pattinson. I was like, I'm thinking wait. Of, no, I'm thinking of another movie he was it's in. It's Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe and, and Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan and... I was like, this is, is not Rob. No, no, no. I'm thinking of this other movie that I was watching a Rob Pattinson movie a few days ago. The Haunted Airman. No? I can't think of it. It was some... But anyways, it's not Robert Pattinson. It's Daniel... Yeah, it might have been that one. It's I will, Daniel I will give you every Rob Because Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> does such a good job as Ellen Ginsberg. Like, this little, like, Jewish boy. Mm-hmm. Like, so great. And then... Um, the guy, I forgot his name, but the guy who plays William Burroughs is really good, too, because mm-hmm. it's all the beat poets. Yeah, and, yeah, But it's sort of that same, like, manipulative, like, gay relationship where okay. it's like, I think I'm smarter than everyone, and, like, I know you're attracted to me, and, like, I have power over you, okay. sort of thing. So. You have no power over me. It was not Labyrinth. Oh, okay. Definitely not that. But anyways. <laughs> the boy was so, not piece? Yeah, no. So they both grew up in the affluent... Kenwood neighborhood on Chicago's south side. 
Um, the Loebs owned a summer estate called Castle Farms in Michigan, along with their mansion two blocks from the Leopold home in Kenwood. So they, like, lived near each other growing okay. up and, like, casually knew each other. Okay. So they, yeah, but they began seeing more of each other in mid-1920, around, like, maybe 1923, at the University of Chicago. Oh, they began seeing more of each oh, other. Oh, yeah. Right. So, and then, because, like, one was doing the undergraduate, and then the other one was doing his graduate okay. degree. Um, at the University of Chicago... And they both had a mutual interest in crime. So that's how they got close to each other. Like, oh, because he liked reading detective novels and, like, all that. So Leopold, in particular, was fascinated by uh, Nietzsche's concept of supermen. Okay. Which was transcendent individuals whose superior intellects allowed them to rise above the laws and rules that bound the average populace. So it's basically, oh, like, okay. these men who were, like, smarter and, like, intellectual and basically, like, better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's that's us. Like, that's who we are because, like, we're smarter than everyone else. I don't know right? about that. Yeah. So he believed that he and Loeb were these individuals um, that weren't bound by any rules or ethics. Right? Okay. So both students at the university, like, so they were both there. And Loeb was there after leaving the University of Michigan and achieving only mediocre grades and becoming an alcoholic. So even though he was at this, like, you know, like, the school at 17, and, like, he wasn't really doing that well. He was just kind of, like, partying and drinking, and then that's when he, he, like, graduated, and then he went over to the University of Chicago. So he was back in Chicago by 1924 taking graduate courses in history. So after becoming closer in 1923, this is, like, I think, like, the fall of 1923. Close. Uh, yeah. They became attracted to each other and was, like, yo, hey. Like, we're That's both, what they said. Yeah, That's they, they were, like, they were, like, hey, listen, hey. you're smart, I'm smart, it's we're like, both sociopaths. They're, like, you look Let's like a fucking snack, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, hey, old sport, do you mind hey, if I, uh... <laughs> you mind like, if you do that gaping face? <laughs> <laughs> you look like a fucking snack, my guy. <laughs> Me trying to flirt. <laughs> yeah, so that's what they said to each other. Um, Me offered so, I'm done. Anyways, so um, Loeb was more extroverted, and Leopold was more of, like, a misanth- like misanthropic and aloof. So okay. Leopold was more, like, he was, like, kind of quiet, like, kept to himself. And he should have stopped now. Um, but they still became, like, these, like, intimate companions because they were, like, very different, but they were also, like, okay. that's, like, why they liked each other. Mm-hmm. So Loeb was said to be extremely good-looking and charming. Um, and even though he indulged in destructive behavior, like, he would steal cars, set fires, smash storefront windows, um, Leopold still desired him and was fascinated by him. So okay. he's like, hey, even though you're a little hood rat, mm-hmm. like, I'm still in love with you, and, like, I want to be with you, and basically I'll do whatever you want. And this is also, like, someone on a writer stealing from Saks of Avenue kind of thing, where it's like, you're so rich that you're fucking bored. Yeah. And you need a thrill. Literally. <laughs> like, it's, like, Winona was like, I need this Gucci yeah. bag. And I was, like, looking at pictures of them. I think there's some in the book, but... Like, they're not, like, oh, my God, like, I mean, this is, like, 1923. But, like, for the 20s, like, they were two pretty good-looking kids. Like, you know, for little rich white boys. Let's take a candor. Um, So, basically, Loeb was exhilarated by his crimes, and he always wanted to raise the stakes. So, he was, like, nothing is good enough for me. I'm done with these petty crimes. Like, I want to do something in the big leagues. Um, And he knew that Leopold would accompany him on his uh, escapades, um, he was like, you know, no matter what I do, I know this boy's gonna follow me, because, mm-hmm. like, he likes me. And, 
So basically, but Leopold would complain that Loeb would keep him at arm's length. He was like, I'm doing all this stuff with you. Why do you still not, like, care about me the same way I care mm-hmm. about you, basically? Because I'm a sociopath and I can't feel love. Yeah, basically. Right. But he, they couldn't say that at the time because they okay. probably didn't even understand what okay. they were. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. But basically, um, Loeb managed to quiet Leopold's complaints by reassuring him of his affection and loyalty. Reassuring uh-huh. him. Uh-huh. Yeah, get that hand out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all we all know we all know what the game is here, old sport. <laughs> the game. Um. Anyway, so he was like, "Hey, like I know you love me and like you're loyal," but he's like, "Hey, if you're really loyal and you really love me, you're gonna commit this crime with me. Like, let me. I want to see how much you love me, and we're gonna oh, commit God. the perfect crime together." So Loeb wanted to commit a crime that would get all of Chicago talking, which would be kidnapping and murdering a child and collecting a ransom from the parents. Oh, so they were like, we're going to, even though we have money, we're going to get more money from basically faking these parents out and saying that, hey, we have your son. Like, yeah. So Loeb proclaimed no one would know who accomplished it. They're like, no one's going to find bitch out who this thought. is. Yeah. In 1923, uh, yeah, big, bitch big fucking. Thought. Big surprise. Big, big surprise. Mistake. Big mistake. So, of course, Leopold is, like, you know, in love with this man. So he had no objection to this plan. He's like, yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. So <laughs> they spent seven months discussing the crime Jesus. and planning the details, deciding on a $10,000 ransom, really a person's life for $10,000. That's what you're going to kill someone okay. for, for $10,000. Oh, okay. Um, and so they were coming up with, like, a set, like, this intricate set of instructions they're like okay we're gonna leave one letter here and then we're gonna give them instructions to find like another letter and all this bullshit so yeah ten thousand dollars and they decided on 14 year old bobby franks who was son of millionaire jacob franks and also a distant cousin of loeb jesus so this was loeb's like second cousin so this is what made it easier because they were like well he already knows who i am he's not gonna feel like threatened yeah so On May 24th, 1924, they rented a car under a fake name and offered Bobby a ride as he walked home from school. So, originally Bobby was like, no, I'm good, like, it's only, like, two blocks, Mm -hmm. like, I'm fine. And then, so, Loeb convinced him to get in the car to discuss a tennis racket that he had been using. Because I used to play, Bobby Franks would go over to Loeb's family's house and they would play, like, tennis. Don't play shuttlecock with the white people. (laughs) Can we can we put that on a t-shirt? This is why you don't play shuttlecock with the white people. I'm gonna put that Listen on a to button. The fucking Native Americans. They told you bitches do not trust these white men. It's true. So he's like, hey, get in this car. Like, we'll we'll, we'll talk tennis, buddy. Like, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about shuttlecock. It'll be a good time. So oh, you wanted to talk about shuttlecock, right? Okay. So anyways, I just can't get over. No. So Bobby Franks uh, gets in the car. Um, and so Loeb sat in the backseat with a chisel, so that's the murder weapon they decided on was a chisel, and struck Bobby Frank several times in the head and stuffed a gag in his mouth. So they basically left him to bleed out in the car, this poor little 14-year-old boy. And they have a picture of him in the book, too, and he's, like, really cute. So they then... Fucking people! I know. So they then drove to Wolf Lake in Hammond, Indiana, which is about 25 miles south of Chicago. It's not that far away. good happens in Indiana, except for when Pete Wentz comes to do a show. It's true. Um, and so, yeah, so they drive to Wolf Lake, and they dunk his head in the water to make sure, like, he's dead, because they don't want to take any chances. And they then removed his clothes and concealed his body in a culvert along the Pennsylvania Railroad In a culvert? Tracks. 
A culvert. They were like, here's some nice yogurt they, for they you, They stuffed his man. body in a culvert. They, they went all the way to Wisconsin. In a culvert. And, uh, so, a culvert, which I think is, like, sort of like a storm drain type oh, thing. Oh, okay, okay, Correct okay, me okay. if I'm wrong. I'm guessing. I literally don't know what I'm talking about, but I think that's what it is. Um, so basically, they tried to hide his body by these railroad tracks in Indiana, and this is the worst part, is to obscure Bobby's identity. They poured acid on his face and genitals, so he would be unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah. I hate people. I hate people. I hate so, them. So, once they were done with this, they returned to Chicago, where word had already spread that Bobby was missing. Their family was like, where is he? Like, what's going on? So Leopold called Franks's mother and told her that Bobby had been kidnapped and he identified himself as George Johnson. So he used a fake name and was like, he gave instructions to deliver the ransom. Um, and then after that, they burned Bobby's clothes. They burned like the car and destroyed the typewriter oh that they God. used for the ransom. So they threw the typewriter in like a nearby lagoon and they like, burned right. everything, got rid of everything. And they were like, okay, everything's taken care of, everything's fine, and they spent the rest of that night playing cards with each other. Are you fucking kidding? Unless cards is like a code word for, you know, like something else, you know, they for, the, for the gays in the 20s. Right? The oh, gays yeah. in the 20s were like, we're they were literally just cards. playing, like, solitaire, but, like, sitting next to each other. <laughs> they were playing, <laughs> like, they were playing solitaire. Their hand under the table, though. Okay. okay. How do you that. do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that, okay, isn't that what, that's what, not Angela, what's the other fucker? Kenneth Bianchi? That's what he, the... Oh my god, what's their name? The Hillside Stranglers? Mm-hmm. That's what he used to tell his wife he was doing. He's like, oh, me and Angela are going to play cards. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> but, and then but they come back, like, covered in blood. They come back covered in blood, and they were like, uh, what kind of Just cards kidding. are you playing? I think that's all people fucking did back then, I guess, I, I guess. play cards. Anyways, yeah, so after disposing of all the evidence and calling this poor mother, who was, clearly lost her son, they spent the rest of the night playing cards. So, before the plan could go into effect, a man, so, like, before, like, they could find, like, the other ransom letters and go on this witch hunt or whatever, a man named Tony Minke, M-I-N-K-E, okay. um, found the body of Bobby Franks. Oh, Jesus. So, Chicago police long, launched an investigation, and so Loeb went about his daily routine quietly, was like, I want nothing to do with this, like, yeah. he, they're not going to find nothing out, whatever. But, like a fucking idiot and sociopath that he is, um, Leopold spoke freely to police and reporters about his own theories. And to oh detectives. my god, he was how like, stupid are you? He was like, he's like, hey, like, I think I know. And this is, this is literally what he said. So, um, Leopold told one detective, and this is in mm-hmm. quotes, if I were to murder anybody, it would be just a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks. Literally, basically admitted to this detective that he killed Bobby Franks. But he was saying, like, well, if it was me, this is who I would have murdered. How fucking insane. This is not big dick energy. This is big pink dick energy. Like, Literally. That's, what <laughs> that's what's happening here. I can tell you 100% that's what's happening. Like, can you imagine being that arrogant? Just sure of yourself that you could get away with this? Oh my god. I can't even imagine. Oh my god. Um, so, basically. Um, eventually, yeah, so he brags to the police. So, eventually it was found that Leopold dropped his glasses near where the body was found. What a fucking rookie. So they find his glasses, and because of the prescription, they were able to trace the prescription back to him. Mm-hmm. And he said that... That's the shit I do like. But listen, listen to his excuse. 
if this isn't a response of a, of a true gay in the 20s, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> he said, um, they must have fallen out while I was bird watching the weekend before. Mm-hmm. While, he was, while he was bird watching in the same area where this body was found that you were just bragging to the police about that you would have killed this person. Because okay. that makes complete sense, right? Okay. And then, after they find his glasses, they find the typewriter in the nearby lagoon where they got rid of it, where they wrote the ransom bro, note. Bro, bro, <laughs> go to school, go to class. That's the sad part, is that they were at, like, one of, like, the top, like, Ivy League They weren't paying universities. They were, like, going to class, eyes wide shut. But you know like, what? You know who else attended the University of Chicago? Richard Speck. And this he was also, why, he was, like, 15 when he got this in. This is why you only fuck with minor league colleges in River Forest Park. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know where we live. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is. We don't even know where we went to college. It's okay. It's fine. We did go to college, though, so we know more than these guys. Yeah. Just not the University they went, of Chicago. They went to fucking college. I'm sorry. Everyone who goes to the University of Chicago is a fucking weirdo. Oh, yeah. They're all fucking stuck up, and everyone's up their own ass. Uh, everyone. No everyone, one can make up their mind. Everyone who goes to UIC listen to this podcast and be like, oh, you, That UIC oh, is the University of Chicago. You obviously, whatever. Okay. <laughs> good. Good. If if you go to University of Chicago, you're we're too good for you. Oh, okay. This podcast is too good for oh, you. Okay. Just Not, kidding. I hope you fun. enjoy this episode. <laughs> as as you begin your your school year. As you begin your journey. <laughs> anyway, I've only been there once, and it was um, we we met some friends when we oh, went to Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he ended up going there, so we all like visited. It's a beautiful campus. And he was a fucking weirdo. But. So. <laughs> <laughs> Watching people listening to this podcast. I'll shout his ass out. We're gonna lose so many people. Anyways, it was creepy. Besides that, so they find this typewriter where they wrote the ransom letter. So finally, they were summoned to questioning on May 29th, and both of their alibis were not valid. So this happened. They committed this crime on May 24th, and they're brought um, to summoning on the 29th. Okay. So. Lee basically Loeb confessed first, saying that Leopold had planned everything. He was look like, "Look at how these two turn oh, on each other." Oh, look at how typical, you crack. Typical, typical, like white man murder murder couple. Yeah, everyone fucking turns <laughs> on each other. It was him. It was him. No, but this is literally what happened with Ken. This is like literally Ken and Angelo, where it's like Ken was like, "It was him. It was yeah. him. He did everything." And I was like, uh, "Motherfucker, shut up." Yeah. So, oh, no. so Loeb, Loeb was a little pussy and broke first. And then Leopold's confession came soon after, and they were like, yeah, you got us, we did it. So, honestly, like, the people of Chicago were stunned. Because, like, I mean, there had been, like, you know, murders and stuff, but, like, nothing to this degree. Well, except for fucking... Howard and Friends? What the fuck? Howard, you mean H.H. Holmes? H.H. Holmes. Howard and Friends. Here today with Howard and Friends. No, H.H. Holmes. I mean, I mean, he was like America's first serial killer in Chicago, but this wasn't even like a serial. This was just like this one. Yeah. And this is like, you know, people, they're like, oh, maybe people have like wised up a little bit since the World's Fair, you know? Maybe things have changed. Unlikely. So. Yeah, so basically, it was fully expected that the two would receive a death sentence. Um, for the crime that they committed. So, obviously, since these two, you know, rich boys have big families and mm-hmm. money, um, they're going to hire one of the best of defense attorneys in 
Like I was the like, US. okay, who's the white man that's gonna defend them and get them off? Oh the yes, record? but this this white man defending him is the worst. This man literally like cried to the judge, cried to everyone, got everyone. So I they have his whole statement on Wikipedia, and I couldn't even read the whole thing because of how disgusted I was. This man quotes like poetry, get a job, and, like all this stupid shit. Get I was a like, fucking shut job, up. So basically, America's most famous defense attorney had been hired by the parents of the killers. For a hundred thousand dollars, of course, and that, probably like a like million took, dollars. No, literally. I mean, it was like nineteen twenty-four, so it yeah, was like, it's like you know, a, a lot of money. Um, so his name was Clarence Darrow. Oh. And oh, this is where he comes from. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this, yeah. yeah. So he basically he had more trouble with Leopold and Loeb than he did with the case. So apparently, these two are fucking these messy. two. These two are the definition of clowns. So they can't. <laughs> no, they literally. It says they constantly clowned around and hammed it up in the courtroom. If it, this is not us in class, and I don't know, <laughs> literally uh, us, like a fucking Leopold in uh, in Gil Cook's class, just like <laughs> sitting in the front, just like hamming it up and clowning hamming around. It up. We had a favorite professor. At our university, oh, and we would, like we, we both like took. <laughs> I'm gonna have him listen to this, and we both like took his class. I, don't know, and we I just, love him. He's such a good professor. And it was just like having us having conversations with him the entire right. time. But anyways, that was them in the courtroom, and um, the newspaper photographers frequently snapped photos of them smirking and laughing in court. Um, and the public had already basically been turned against them, and they became even more hostile toward the poor little rich boys. Like is what they called them. So, Darrow was fighting an uphill battle, but he brought out every trick in the book and used shameless tactics in the case. So, he, his main argument was that he declared the boys to be insane. <laughs> He's like, they're crazy. You're, like, You're fucking right. Yeah. But they knew what they these, were doing. These two smart-ass boys who intended, who, who intended, who attended the University of Chicago and these Ivy League schools are insane mm-hmm. and, like, you know, just, they just came up with this out of nowhere. Yeah, right. And, uh, mm-hmm. Leopold, he said, was a dangerous schizophrenic. That they weren't criminals, and that what do you mean they're not? They basically criminals. he was like they just Clarence. he was like they just couldn't help themselves. Clarence, Clarence, what are you doing, Clarence? Get your shit together. Um, We're going ahead so with Clarence. after this weighty proclamation, Darrow began to weep. Um, well, you're a lawyer. Get it the fuck together. But he was he was doing it to like you know yeah. bring you know bring like sympathy you don't to them. Fucking see Johnny Cochran sobbing. Okay, <laughs> he fucking took his shit and he was like, you know what? I know I'm defending the wrong person, but I'm still fucking here. Right, right. I mean, I think it was you know it's just a little different than that. But uh, <laughs> so basically, he began to describe a detailed description of what would happen to the men as they were hanged, providing a graphic image of bodily functions and physical pain. And so he, yeah, he was basically like. Oh, think about what will happen to them if they're killed. Think about what, this if they're fucking hanged. Fourteen-year-old boy who got was viciously murdered. attacked with a fucking no, chisel no, to no, his no, head. No. So Darrow even turned to the prosecutor and invited him to personally perform the execution. No. And he was like, "Why don't you do it? Why don't you, you know, see what happens?" You know what, man. So Darrow's no. horrifying description had marked an effect on the courtroom and especially on the defendants. So Loeb was observed to shudder, and Leopold got so hysterical that he had to be taken out of the courtroom. This is the kind of <laughs> shit that I live for. I'm not sure how I feel about the death penalty, but damn, sometimes I'm like, give it to him. He was like, oh shit, I might actually die <laughs> for killing another shit. human being? What? Um, so Darrow then wept for the defendants, wept for Bobby Franks, and then wept for defendants and victims everywhere. I'm Jesus Christ! Enjoy right now. That he yeah. fucking didn't get away with this shit. So the defendants were given life in prison for Bobby Frank's murder and an additional ninety nine years for his kidnapping. Which good for this judge, you know? 
Like, at least they're fucking getting locked up. Should have put his And they're not going to be out. In this fucking, the noose. The electric chair. Anyways. Should have put him in old Sparky. No. Um, ironically, after all that, Dara only managed to get $40,000 of his Good. fee Good. from the tight-fisted parents of his Good. clients. Good. And he only managed to get that after threatening to sue them. Well, they were tight-fisted. So he was like, if y'all don't give me my money, okay, I didn't need that. He's <laughs> like, if y'all don't give me my money, I'm going to sue you. And they were like, listen, our son still went to prison. You didn't do your job. You didn't do your job, yep. So Leopold and Loeb were sent to the state prison in Joliet. Okay. Joliet prison. Yeah. And also... And then they were later moved to Stateville Penitentiary, which Holy is now shit. a haunted house, house, Statesville. Which, where somebody got raped. Pretty sure. Yeah. I still haven't heard, like, the official story for that. I think it's pretty sure, yeah, someone did. I had to look into it. it yeah, that's whatever. why... Oh, we'll do an episode on that. That'd be a good one. That would, yeah. Oh, we should use, like, haunted house cases. You Anyways, look out for our, our uh, next few episodes. Next few episodes. For Halloween. For Halloween-y. That's true. So, yeah, so states, um, these are prisons out in, like, the suburbs in Illinois. Yeah. So, they're, like, Joliet is about an hour outside of Chicago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were sent to Joliet Prison, and officials were ridiculed by the public and the press for a special treatment they received. So, listen to how much special treatment oh, God, these boys got. So, fucking mad. so, obviously, money was changing hands as they enjoyed a private cell. Desk, Together? No, different, but they were, like, oh. next to each other, basically. Of course. They got private cells, books, a desk, a filing cabinet, and, are you ready? Pet birds. What the fuck? <laughs> they got to have pet birds in their fucking cell for murdering this 14-year-old boy. Okay? I'm going home. They got, yeah, they got to have pet birds. I'm going the fuck home. Oh, wait, but listen, it's not over. They also showered away from the other prisoners and took their meals, which were... Prepared to order in the officer's lounge. This is some straight up, like, pastas on fucking Sundays, like, mafia and prison shit. What is this is literally Al Capone. Literally, oh, Al Capone. Al Capone is literally sitting there. He's having his gravy. He's having his bread. His mom's coming in. She's making his fucking bed for him. Okay, this that's is literally gonna shit. be, like, your father. My father ever went to prison. <laughs> that's all Italian. If you've ever met, like, true Italian families, you know that those mothers live till they're, like, 105 years old, and they're still cooking and cleaning and for their sons. they're still doing it, yep. It's true. But yeah, so these boys got all the shit, and um, they were also allowed any number of unsupervised visitors and were allowed to keep their own gardens. They were growing fucking cherry tomatoes. Just fucking let them out. Marigolds. Just let them out at this point. They have each other. They have birds. They have books. Like, what, they have this a garden. Is, this is my fucking dream in life, that someone would just leave me alone in a fucking cell. Maybe we can go back book. to the 20s. We'll pull a Bill and Ted. Uh, we'll go yeah, back to the 20s, yeah. commit a perfect crime in Chicago, mm-hmm. and get nice... Um, but I'll kill, like, one of them. Yeah. That would be my murder. Yeah, we'll do that, and then we'll get nice prison cells with birds. I don't like, I don't really... I don't like birds. Birds are dirty. I need, and that's why I don't like birds. I mean, they are dirty. I would rather have cats, though. Yeah, give me a cat. Put a cat. Give me my big, fat-ass cat. I'll put him in my cell. I'll have my copy of Twilight. I will be so happy. It'll be a good time. So, yeah. They shouldn't even be... They just fucking let him out at that yep. point. So... After this, so over time, Loa became even more deranged and was feared as a brutal prison rapist, which is interesting because I saw, like, conflicting stories on this mm. that, like, people saw him as that way. So, okay, well, I'll get into this part next and then explain it. So, basically, eventually, even Leopold wanted nothing to do with him, and in January 1936... Loeb was killed by another inmate named James Day, who slashed him 56 <gasps> times with, like, a shiv, a makeshift well knife. Yeah. 
and he was found bleeding in the corridor by guards and died shortly after. Well-deserved. But they were saying, so, like, the reason James Day stabbed Loeb was he was saying, like, he was trying to come on to me, and, like, because they knew they were gay. Yeah. And, like, but I think it was that, like, because they saw James Day also having, like, affairs with other prisoners, like, other men. So they were thinking that he came up to Loeb and was trying to start shit, and then Loeb was like, like, no, and then he killed him. So they, I think Uh, they tried to, like, frame, I mean, which is, like, you know... I mean, he's still a murderer. Yeah, but... but I'm like, yeah. that that's still shitty that yeah. you're trying to say, oh, because he's gay, he tried to molest me and rape me mm-hmm. when it was, like, these other guys. Because, yeah. you know, you know, it's prison. All these people are having sex with each other. That's yeah. how it is. Okay? Or getting raped. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Exactly. So, yeah, they think that <clears throat> is what happened. So, um, so, yeah, Loeb dies and is, you know, killed by yeah. James Day. How and, old is he, do you know? So this was 36. So he was about in his... He was in his... Th- he was born in 1905. Oh, okay. So he's, like, in his 30s. About, yeah, yeah, little... Yeah, little... Almost 40. Yeah. I would say... 1905, maybe 30. We, we can't, can't do, do math. math. We can't do- <laughs> well, he's, like, around his 30s. He's yeah. in his 30s. Anyway, so, yeah. He dies in 36. And so Leopold lived on in prison for many years and had made, like, adjustments to his character, whatever. So they moved mm-hmm. him to Statesville, Stateville Penitentiary okay. instead of uh, Joliet Prison. Um... So, and some would say he even, like, rehabilitated completely. Okay. So, he made, actually, like, all these changes to, like, the penitentiary and the prison. So, it was so that he reorganized the library, he revamped the school system in the prison and added, like, all these classes, Mm -hmm. and he volunteered to work in the hospital, specifically the malaria studies and treatments area, and he, like, came up with, like, basically, like, a cure for malaria, and, like, because he was so smart mm-hmm. and, like, came up with all this stuff. So he, like... Too bad he didn't fucking contribute all this to society. I know. I'm like, you could have done this, like, somebody. not by not being in prison, by yeah. killing someone. So he made, like, all these changes mm-hmm. that are still in effect today because, okay. like, he was there. So, um, but appeals for his parole were turned down three times. And finally, in 1958, for his fourth appeal, he was pleaded by poet Carl Sandburg who even went as far to offer Leopold a room in his home. Jesus Christ. So Carl Christ. Sandburg is a famous Chicago poet. And I'm like, but, so I'm like, Carl, like, mind your fucking business, yeah, I'm okay? Yeah, you're fucking lean. Like, why, why? So yeah, Carl Sandburg offers him a place in his home, and it's like, no. But, so that, that was interesting. But finally, in March of that year, he was released... And he went on to write a book about his experiences, which I actually kind of want to read now. Mm -hmm. I didn't know he wrote a book. And it's called Life Plus 99 Years. And then after he wrote that, he moved to Puerto Rico. Shit. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he moves to Puerto Rico. He finds this widowed florist and marries her. Her? Her. Yeah. He marries a woman. Okay. And they have, like, this life together and, like neighbors so this isn't like this is almost the 60s now okay and neighbors see him as uh, he changes his name i forgot what they changed his name to but like they know him as this other person he's like this nice family guy like no i don't think any like he works he goes to work like at the university there and like teaches classes like all this stuff and uh yeah he worked among the poor and he worked with like leprosy he worked like worked with lepers like doing all these Mm -hmm. cures like you know like a normal person would you know yeah, so he married a widow, and he died in 1961 of diabetes, mm-hmm. and then he donated his corneas after he died. So someone imagine, got, someone got imagine their boy's those fucking corneas, the things that you would have seen. <sighs> oh, Lord. So I'm, that's, that's their story. So Bobby Franks is buried in Rose Hill Cemetery. Okay. 
um, which is, isn't too far from us, and they didn't, like, give out information to where his, he has, like, a really nice, like, big, he has his own, like, building. Okay. Not, like, a building, but, like, a small, a like, little thing. mausoleum, okay. yeah, and it's, like, really beautiful, and, um, I, I, there's, like, so many, like, ghost, you know, books and stuff, but, it, like, they don't think he haunts the area or anything, yeah. they sent, like, since the killers got convicted, yeah. like, so it says, the spirit of Bobby Franks has always rested in peace. Perhaps his killers were brought, because his killers were brought to justice. Looks um, like the one got out and lived the whole fucking Except life, there but... is one uh, spirit believed to linger from this case, which is lawyer Clarence Darrow. Mm-hmm. So it said, so in the, there's another book called Chicago Haunts and Windy City Ghosts by Ursula Bielski, who's my girl. My girl. We love Ursula in this house. And it, in this uh, house? In this house? So it tells, um... Of instances where the ghost of Darrow has been seen along the back steps of the Museum of Science and Industry in Ooh. Chicago. So they see him there. And the apparition is reported to be dressed in a suit, hat, and overcoat, and bears a striking resemblance to the attorney. The figure Ooh. is reported to stand and stare out across the water before disappearing. Why this ghost walks is unknown, although perhaps the infamously agnostic attorney simply refuses infamous. to go to the other side. He's, he's like, like I'm not. He's like, also, I didn't get my extra money i needed my a hundred thousand dollars and he i only got my forty thousand so where's my coin for that 60 bitch he's like i will be here on the steps of the museum of science and industry waiting for my coin meet me in st louis just kidding meet me on the steps so that is the story of leopold and loeb see i've never heard that i was i was like wow okay i've heard their names before yeah i've never never heard heard, like i've had this book and i haven't read their stories, but even, like, in here, you can see, uh, the pictures of Bobby Franks. I'll, I'll post the pictures on Twitter and Facebook when we post the episode, too, but he was, like, this little, you know, cute little boy. He's only 14 years old in this family, and it's just so sad. These kids who just, it's like, you know, you don't know what would have happened, and that's them in the courtroom. Ugly ass That picture, too. There's no pictures on the side from it, and then I think there's one more... Or maybe not. But, yeah. So, it's just super... And it's, like... It's not even, like, they had a specific reason to kill this kid. It was just they wanted to see... It was for fun. Because they were were too... You know when you're too smart for your own good and you get bored and you're like, oh, what else can I do now, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, like, scary because that's how a lot of serial killers are where it's, like, they have this, like... It's not like they had bad relationships with their parents or abused. Like, they were just... Crazy, like I don't want to say crazy. They were like psychopaths, you know. Like it's just really sad. Except for yours, because that man was just that man is a fucker. But here's the thing: even if you are abused growing up, or you have things like I get it, you know, you have problem and you need help for that, and that fucks up your mind. But there are also people who go through that and worse, and don't murder people. Yep. You know. Yep. Like it's just. It's very sad. That one fucking gets me, though, because I was just, I was, like, reading this, and I was like, this guy is such a piece of shit, like, ugh. Yeah. I want to go to, we should go to Juliet Prison in State, because they do tours there, and at Stateville when it's not, like, during Haunted House season. Yeah. And I think they, I think yeah. Ursula does, like, tours, like, she does tours of Juliet tours. Prison. We yeah. stay overnight. I want to do it. So, Let's she do does it. that for sure. Tell, tell us if you guys think we should stay overnight at Julia Prison and maybe... We'll do a podcast from there. We can find the ghosts of Leopold and Loeb. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? That would be so we'll do fun. do a live podcast from there and just be like, hello, we're oh here. My God. Hey. Yeah, that's exactly what we'll say. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Once again, this has been Most Excellent, the podcast. Mm-hmm. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Pocket Casts eventually will try to get on more. And if you have an, your own story that you would like us to read on the podcast or just want to, you know, send us a shout-out in general, email. send us an email at mosthexcellentpod at gmail.com. We would like to read your stories. Mm-hmm. All right, until next time, guys, stay excellent to each other. Stay spooky, y'all. Stay spooky, stay spooky, and we will see you guys later. Bye. Bye.